836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you were not listening on Friday, well, our tickets to Insight 2017 went on sale. Insight 2017 is going to be Wednesday evening, April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel. Among the guests, headlined by Governor Walker, we're going to have a lengthy conversation with him about the past, the future, the present, and give you an opportunity maybe to get to know the guy behind the headlines. In addition, we're going to be joined not by one, but by two, but by three justices of the state of Wisconsin Supreme Court. Again, to give you a look at people behind the names and behind the robes, Bob Babish and Don Smiley are going to be with us from Summerfest to talk about Summerfest past present and future and we're going to have some more guests that we're going to be announcing over the course of the next several days but uh if you want to get tickets they are available just simply go to wtmj.com on the front page you'll see purchase tickets for jeff wagner's insight 2017 it's going to be a great show a little bit perhaps different than the past but i think you're going to find it very enjoyable uh insight 2017 country springs hotel Tickets are on sale now. We start off today's program like we start off every program with a segment I call Three Big Things, things that I think you need to know about as you begin your day. The biggest story, of course, of the weekend and the day, because it's starting to impact perhaps on the stock market, is the defeat of the attempt to repeal and replace Obamacare on Friday. In order to pass any sort of changes to Obamacare, You need 216 votes in the House of Representatives. No Democrats were going to vote for any change to Obamacare. So that means that, you know, you you can do it with just the Republicans, but there's only so many Republican votes that you can lose. The problem was that you had a group of very conservative Republicans. They, they call themselves the Freedom Caucus, and they've been around since really since the 2010 election. Very conservative Republicans from, as a general rule, extremely conservative districts. So they're, they're not worried about losing an election necessarily for not getting something done. And th- this group, I think it would be fair to describe them as conservative ideologues and you can judge whether that's good or bad or not but they're they're folks that have been uncompromising over the last six years and have set themselves up as the alternative say to the obama administration and their position has been no 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 they 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 wanted to force a government shutdown over government spending a few years back even though almost everybody said hey if you do this it's going to come back to haunt the republicans maybe not you because you're in a really really conservative district but if you play around with things like this you could end up you know costing other republican members your seat and in general these 25 to 30 ideologues haven't cared about that so paul ryan and the president come out with their plan to repeal and replace Obamacare. Now, this wasn't the final plan. What would have happened is if something passed on Friday, it would have gone to the Senate, the Senate would have made changes, and then it would have gone into a reconciliation. So this was not the final plan. But if it didn't pass, nothing ends up happening, and you you end up with Obamacare. Well, over the course of the last week or so, both the President and the Speaker met continually with members of this so-called Freedom Caucus. They weren't shut out of the process. They were invited in. They were given the opportunity to make changes. And as a matter of fact, there were various changes that were made to the bill that were an attempt to kind of satisfy these very, very conservative members. 
But whenever they made changes, the members of the Freedom Caucus kept moving the goalposts. Okay, you've done this for us, but now we need this and this and this. And the more you moved the goalposts, what ended up happening is you then ended up risking losing the votes of more moderate Republicans in, in the House. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the Freedom Caucus said, no, we, we can't do this. We can't support this. We're not going to vote for it. We're going to withhold our votes. And without those 20-plus votes, Speaker Ryan didn't have enough votes to pass it. Well, Donald Trump wanted there to be a vote anyways, apparently. He said, well, let, let's have a vote. Let's get the people on the record. And then let's use that vote to you know, go ahead and sort of punish the people who wouldn't vote for you. Paul Ryan, I think from all I've heard, talked him out of that, said, look, why, why do we want to publicly – Why do we want to create an even bigger rift in the Republican Party than there is? Why do we want to embarrass people? Let's just not have a vote. And so late Friday afternoon, they pulled the bill. And now it appears that um, they're, they're not going to take up Obamacare, repeal, replace anything for the foreseeable future. Now, that's really very, very bad news for many of the people that are on Obamacare, particularly if you are on Obamacare and you make a little bit too much money to qualify for your subsidies, because what I believe is inevitable that is going to happen is you are going to see more and more insurers pull out of the markets. There's a number of states already where they only have one choice. And as more and more insurers pull out and there's less and less competition and more and more people who are sick make claims, premiums rise. So, I mean, I I think Obamacare is destined to implode on itself in the next couple years. That's at least my opinion on this. But right now, no reform. And I don't think anybody intends to to take it up. So, I mean, it's this is a train wreck and it's going to be coming faster than people think. So now there's a lot of blame that is going around. What happened? Why did this fail? And predictably, a number of the usual suspects, particularly on the right, are starting to focus on Congressman Paul Ryan, um, one of the Fox News hosts, longtime friend of President Trump, um, announced over the weekend that that she thinks what well, interesting dynamic here. First of all, on Saturday, Donald Trump sends out a a tweet saying that that the people should watch this show on Fox News. Watch watch her show that night. And then people tune in to watch it, and what she does is go off on a riff against House Speaker Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan needs to step down as Speaker of the House. The reason he failed to deliver the votes on his health care bill, he was not doing, he let Donald Trump down by not doing his share of the work in corralling Republicans to fulfill the promise to repeal and replace this. Speaker Ryan, you come in with all your swagger and experience and you sell him a bill of goods, which ends up a complete and total failure, and you allow our president in his first 100 days to come out of the box like that based on what? So the call is for Paul Ryan to take the fall for this. It's Ryan's fault. He should step down. Big thing number one, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you buy that? Is Paul Ryan to blame for the failure of this bill to get enough votes to pass? Has he lost his effectiveness? Should he step down as Speaker of the House? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 847, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, some of the long knives are out. 
calling for Paul Ryan to step down. Neil sends us a text saying, who would want to take Paul Ryan's place? He will keep his job. 414-799-1620. Is Ryan responsible for the failure to get a health care bill through the House? Anne in Milwaukee. Anne, good morning. You're in 620 WTMJ. Yes, I don't think it should be all on his lap. It should be a group effort. And shame on them for trying to put all the fingers on him. Well, I get, I see, I, I, I agree with you. I don't know what more he could have done. For the last six years, Republicans have been saying the first thing we want to do is repeal and replace. He comes out with a bill that might not be perfect, but it's a starting point, and you got no Democratic support, and you got 25 or 30 Republicans who refuse to get on board. I don't know what more Ryan could have done to get this through. And with those Republicans that don't want to be on board, then they should be off it and get someone that wants to get some work done. Well, yeah, thanks for calling. You know, I mean, it's it's one of the things that this I've always said, God save us from ideologues. All right. I, it's just there, there's no such thing as a perfect bill. But when you have ideologues on the right and on the left who just dig in and say, well, because something isn't our perfect vision, we're not going to be able to support it. This is the type of stuff that ends up happening. I don't claim that this was a perfect bill. I think probably far from it. But the first step in repealing and replacing Obamacare, which in my opinion is completely unsustainable, would have been passing this, letting the Senate take a look at it, and then uh, again, ultimately whatever would have passed on Friday would not have been the final version of anything, but it would have been a starting point now now that that is off the table for the foreseeable future and and to blame Paul Ryan my gosh i don't know what else paul ryan could have done if you get 25 or 30 people and you need 15 or 20 votes and they just simply say we're not going to vote for anything we're taking our ball we're going home well at some point in time you just have to throw up your hands and say eh, there's not much more we can do dell in west dallas dell you're on 620 wtmj good morning no, I don't have a problem with Paul Ryan. I think Paul Ryan's got a lot to deal with. Um, <laughs> like herding cats. Yeah, like herding cats, exactly. Yeah, well, no, but, but you, you've got issues when you've got a certain individual that said, well, I didn't realize, uh, you know, uh, trying to put a health care bill together was so difficult. <laughs> right. And I'm not going to say who said that, but right. I think a lot of us, if we pay attention to the news, Somebody definitely said that, even though he campaigned and said a lot of different things, that it was going to be fabulous. Right. He was going to do such a great job in putting a health care bill together to replace Obamacare. Right. Yeah, I mean, right, and it, it's, it, it's, it's one thing to be against stuff. It is another thing to have to govern. And if you're going to have to govern, you have to realize, I've always said, that politics is the art of the possible. You know, you, you do... You do as much as you can to try to get something done. And that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get something that's perfect in your mind. But if it's 80% of what you want and 80% better than the current thing, how can you just simply say no? And I just, I just don't see how this is Ryan's fault at all. And the positive thing to look at it is, would we want a health care bill rammed through like Obamacare was? Right. Right, with without uh, any support. Now, thanks for calling. And seeing the problem was... And so you had these, these 25 to 30 members of the Freedom Caucus, and 
they kept making demands. Okay, we, we, we want you to take out this, or we want you to take out that. And the, the more you, you tried to bow to them, the more difficult you made for, you know, the other 200 people who are already on board, the more difficult you made it for them to be able to support the bill. Now, look, I, I understand that there are no easy answers, but I also understand that you've got to keep advancing. You've got to keep moving. And simply saying, no, we're not going to vote, doesn't do anybody any service. And and of course, now this idea that it's Paul Ryan's fault. Well, okay, you know Ryan is one of the smartest guys in Washington D.C. He's a principled conservative who understands that you're, you know, understands again that you you have to do. There's limits as to what you can get done. Let's talk to. Um, let's see, we've got James in Pewaukee. James, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. Um, well, what's getting glossed over here, and this is kind of the hilarity of it all is these, quote, ideologues, they didn't show up last week. They didn't show up a month ago. They've been well-cemented within this party for some time now. And the idea, the mere notion, that there was going to be any legislation that was going to be brought forward without catering and kowtowing to these people, mm-hmm. it goes without saying that, that, was the, that that's why there were, there, were, there were a large throng of people who really weren't too intimidated that the Republicans were going to come up with a with a plan, so to speak, that was going to suit and, and be able to garner the votes that they needed to get legislation passed. So if there's a failure here, and, and I don't know how you, it's inescapable if you're going to talk about creating legislation that's going to get through and change Obamacare, it's an unbelievable oversight on Ryan's, on Ryan's part. I, he clearly was not going to come up with legislation. Again, the, the key part here is these are, these are instituted people who have been in this party for some time now. So the idea that you were going to talk about creating a change to Obamacare and, and come up with something when you knew full well that you were going to be facing this kind of opposition in your own party was absurd. I don't well, know well, I mean, right. I think I think if you want to criticize, I think the, perhaps the fairest criticism would have been earlier in the week when he was talking about how we have the votes. And it appears that, you know, they never really had the votes. Well, Let me ask you this. Moving forward, do you think. Do you think they're going to get a, a, other stuff done, tax reform, things like that, or do you think this is going to be a permanent, a permanent roadblock stopping Republicans from getting any sort of agenda done? No, there will be other there'll be other quote accomplishments and other things they can get through because there's not the significant departure yeah. between between their own party. Healthcare, I, you know, I said it two months ago. Anybody who thinks that healthcare is going to change anytime soon in this country, you're, you're you're very very mistaken because there's just too much division in this own party. And whether people want to believe it or not, there's too many things that a lot of people actually agree with Obamacare, and it's going to make it real hard to get through and get the votes. Get the well, no, thanks. Votes. Well, Jay, as you're seeing, I mean, in the history of this country. You, once an entitlement program has been put in place, and that's what Obamacare is, it is an entitlement program. Once you have an entitlement program that's been put in place, I, I don't know historically whether there's any entitlement program that has ever been repealed once it has been in place because people end up getting used to it. And, and this was a chance to do it, and that chance was gone. I do agree with you that I think moving forward, what you're going to see, I don't, I don't see this as oh the, the death of the Trump administration or and that's what you know some of the the people are saying. I mean, this was clearly a, a setback, but I think there's a lot of other issues. Again, tax reform perhaps being the top one, where there's a lot more agreement 
and some of the the ideologues are going to be less intransigent. I mean, they're going to be willing to they're, they're going to be willing to work to get that type of stuff done without drawing a line in the sand. At least I hope so. But I guess big thing number one: all this criticism. Paul Ryan needs to step down. I don't see this. You, you can say that maybe he, he should have anticipated that he was never going to get the votes, but this is what the Republicans have been promising for six years, that you know, you're going to do repeal and replace. How could he have not taken this on? And to the extent that there is blame to go around, I, I think it's, it's not on Ryan. It's rather on some of these ideologues who drew the line in the sand. It's 855, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. <laughs> It's 858, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. There is a lot of blame to go around. The, these members of the Freedom Caucus, and actually one of the founding members, a congressman out of Texas named Ted Poe, he resigned. He's making the rounds. He said, look, I, I was one of the founding members. I'm as conservative as anybody, but, you know, we got to govern. We've got to get stuff done, and I've had enough of this. I was in these meetings. I saw how the Speaker of the House and the President tried to move towards us, and every time they would do something to make somebody happy, then we'd, car- we'd start moving the goalpost even farther. He said, I'm not going to put up with that and, and Donald Trump, he sends out a tweet, and I, one of those many people who thinks it'd be better if he stopped tweeting. But he says Democrats are smiling at D.C. that the Freedom Caucus, with the help of the Club for Growth and Heritage, have saved Planned Parenthood and Obamacare. You know, and there is an element of truth to that. You had some of these conservative groups that are out there who raise and put big money into electing candidates who decided they were going to draw the line. Here's the parallel. You know, remember what six, seven years ago, Harry Reid running for U.S. Senate. Republicans should have been able to take control of the Senate six years ago, but they nominated a handful of candidates who were the only Republicans in various states that could lose, but they were these ideologically pure people, and as a result, they go on to lose. I appreciate a conservative philosophy. I appreciate the need to stand up for principle, but at some time, you got to get something done. Big thing number two is coming up. Can you be a conservative and be pro-choice? Stick around. It's 859. 909, Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Okay, a couple quick notes. On Friday, tickets to Insight 2017 went on sale. It's Wednesday, April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel. Our headline guest is going to be Governor Scott Walker. Get a chance to see the governor up close and personal. But lots more. We're also going to be joined by Bob Babish and Don Smiley from Summerfest. We're going to be joined by not one, not two, but three members of the state Supreme Court and other guests that we'll be announcing over the next week or two. So Insight 2017 Wednesday, April 19th, the Country Springs Hotel. Tickets are on sale now. Simply go to WTMJ.com, and you'll be able to do that. In addition, if it's easier, um, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. If you text the word tickets to our text line, we'll we'll send you a link. Make it easy to do that. So just text the word tickets to 414-799-1620, and we'll send you the link. Hope to see you April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel. One week from today, I'm out of my comfort zone. I am leaving the cozy confines of the studio. I will be sitting in the dugout at uh, Miller Park. Uh, we've been, I've been doing the opening day broadcast for our, our pre-show, essentially, for a number of years now. And uh, last year was the first year we decided, let's move it out of the tailgater. Let's move me into the dugout. And aside from the fact, one of the reasons you want to be listening is, first of all, it's a really good show, and we'll be interviewing lots of Brewers players and people from behind the scenes. And historically, the owner has joined us, and Bob Uecker stops down. I haven't seen the final guest list, but it, it's a pretty good show. But also, you want to be listening because in the dugout, 
there's always this danger factor because there's balls flying around. I was in the middle of an interview uh, last year when all of a sudden I, I, it was a throw from the shortstop to the first baseman that wasn't close to first base. I'm watching this ball out of the corner of my eye come flying into towards the dugout. So you know, we all had to bail out. So what? Yeah, uh, Hondo says if I come in with a black eye on Tuesday, we'll. We'll know that I didn't. Get, we'll know that I did not get into a fight with somebody in the stands. But that's um, our opening day broadcast. I will be there from eight thirty to noon. Doug Russell is going to be with me. He's going to be doing sports from the dugout. Uh, then I think Scafidi and Billstad are going to be out in the tailgater at noon. And then our pregame coverage. I think it kicks off around one forty-five ish um, for opening day. The Brewers and the Colorado Rockies. Looking forward to that quite a bit. So be sure to check that out as well. And. WTMJ.com, our mobile app section. Uh, we now do podcasts of all the shows here on WTMJ, and I know a lot of people have been downloading podcasts in my program. I simply, uh, I very much, I very much appreciate that. All right, topic number two. Big thing number two. Can you be a conservative and be pro-choice? Years ago, one of the things that I think really distinguished the Republican and the Democratic Party was the issue of abortion. Abortion is a very, very divisive issue. Um, people see it one way or the other. And the way you view it is informed, I think, not just by your politics, but by your upbringing, um, perhaps by your religious views. And it's one of these issues where, yeah, it's political, but it's it's more than that in addition. And over the years... I've always thought that one of the big distinctions between the Republican and the Democratic Party was that it was pretty much impossible to find a pro-life Democrat, particularly somebody who was any sort of position of power. If you were pro-life, you were not welcome in the Democratic Party. For years, the Republican Party, I thought, was something a little bit different. You you had, I think, the majority of people in the party certainly were, were very much pro-life, but you did have some pro-choice Republicans. And even though there was disagreement on that issue, they, they were they were welcomed. That now appears to be changing. Um, Glenn Beck has this this network called called The Blaze, and I don't know if you've been following the story, but one of their commentators is a woman named Tommy Lahren. She goes on. The View, the ABC thing. Is Whoopi Goldberg still on that? I don't even know anymore. But my producer, Hondo, is looking at me like, like yeah, I don't, whatever. She goes on The View. And and she she comes out. And again, she's she works for this conservative network. She is a conservative commentator. And she goes on TV and says, I am a constitutional conservative. I am someone that loves the Constitution and someone for limited government. So I can't stand here and be a hypocrite and say I am for limited government but tell women what to do with their bodies. So she essentially comes out and says, I I am a pro-choice conservative. I am a Republican, but I am pro-choice. And the minute she says that, immediate backlash, huge backlash from uh, on the Internet, in social media, from conservatives, um, things that are being written like, you lost all credibility with the pro-choice comment. You claim to be a conservative. You aren't. Credibility is gone Etc. And now the reports are that she has been fired from th- this this network for coming out and saying, "I am a pro-choice Republican." Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. I found this to be interesting. Can you be a conservative? 
can you be a Republican and be pro-choice? Now, I know many people in my life who are I consider them to be conservative. They are conservative on fiscal issues. They are conservative on a variety of social issues. But nevertheless, they still consider themselves to be pro-choice for a variety of reasons. Are they not true conservatives? Is there a place in the Republican Party in 2017 for someone who is, in fact, pro-choice? 414-799-1620, That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Looks like there was a bit of a purge. She goes out and says, hey, I, I'm, I'm pro-choice. And at least the reports are she has now been, been fired because of the backlash. Let's start with Roger in Janesville. Roger, you're first. Good morning. Um, yeah, this girl is a superstar. She is the blaze, and without them, without her, they're nothing. And you know what? I'm, I'm in agreement with her. I'm conservative, but yet I'm pro-choice. So uh, I, tell me, tell me why? Tell me why you are a conservative? I, not why you're conservative, but why? Why you're pro-choice, and why you think that's consistent with being a conservative? I think uh, being a conservative doesn't mean that you're toting the party line like like the Democrats do. Mm-hmm. You know, so you. Uh, we're free thinkers. We can. We have the right to disagree, and for her to potentially lose her job over this, this is crazy. Because this, you know, yeah, no, no, no. you don't have to toast the party line. I'm sorry. Well, well, thanks. I mean, I guess, well, I guess that's the question: is that you know, can you can you have disagreements on on what is clearly a, a major issue? But is that how we now is is this issue the abortion issue? Is that now the litmus test? Not to be a Supreme Court justice, but is that now the litmus test for being a, a conservative or being a Republican? For years, it's been the litmus test to be a Democrat. Like I say, I don't I mean try to find a, a pro-life Democrat. Good luck with that. But you have in the past found pro-choice Republicans. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Nine seventeen. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. 919, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Bucks hit the road again tomorrow. They take on former Badgers star Frank Kaminsky and the Charlotte Hornets. Our coverage starts with Buckshots, 540 tomorrow evening, right here on WTMJ. Lizzie in Milwaukee. Lizzie, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call, Jeff. Yes, ma'am. What um, do you think? Years ago, I, I read um, a quote from Rush Limbaugh saying, you know, he's pro-choice, but as long as it's the right choice. And I kind of um, adhere to that in that... Uh, uh, hoping that the choice would be life, but because life is also a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I'm, I'm leaving it up to the woman. But what I don't like is using euphemisms for abortion, you know, like termination and so on. I would prefer people use, you know, mm-hmm. it's killing, it's murdering. Mm-hmm. A life, a life, um, a human being. And Liz, Lizzie, let me ask you this: Do you and and I, I I appreciate your viewpoint. I know a lot of people share that. Do you think you can be a conservative? Do you think you can be a member of the Republican Party and disagree with the position you have on this issue of abortion? Um. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess. I mean, think, I guess that's my. See, that's. I see. I agree too. I mean, I this 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 idea of of litmus tests on on social issues, and, and I understand abortion is one of the most dominant issues of of the day. I candidly don't see Roe versus Wade getting 
rolled back. I don't see it getting repealed. I don't think it's going to be overruled, certainly not in, in my lifetime. I mean, I think it continues to be the law of the land. But, I, I mean, I, and I appreciate that the moral issue that it, it poses people. As I was saying earlier, I think a lot of times the way you come at that particular issue is, again, it's, it's based on your personal experience and your life situation and your religious views and all these different types of things. And and yes, there is a political overlay to it. I, I get it, funding Planned Parenthood, that type of stuff. But at the same time, I guess it, it bothers me if conservatives are now going to start saying drawing these lines and saying, okay, if you are if you disagree with us on this particular issue, well, then, then you, you can't be a conservative otherwise. There's no room in the Republican Party for you if you're a fiscal conservative, but you have this different social view, again, based on your religious upbringing or, or whatever. I, I think I, I appreciate what Ronald Reagan always used to talk about it as Republicans being the, the big tent and recognizing that you can have differences, including differences over some of the most significant issues of the day, but yet, you know, still you be able to reach a consensus on, on other stuff. Um, Gavin in Burlington, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? I think that as long as you agree with the majority of a party's views, like especially the conservative party, you know, if you agree with the majority of their views, I don't see why you should be kicked out for disagreeing with them on one thing, mm-hmm. even though it may be a, a big issue such as abortion, right? It should be, you know, you agree with the most of us with with, with us on a lot of different issues. Yeah, you know, you can stay here. Yeah, I mean, I guess. See, I've always been that. I, I always looked at that and said, okay, you know, if, if nobody, you're not going to ever. My my guess is, Gavin, you're not going to be able to find anybody that probably agrees with you on everything. But if, if you can find somebody that agrees with you eighty percent of the time. Um, that that's that's pretty good. Are you going to say no? I, I don't want you to be a member of my party because you're not with me on those two out of ten issues. That to me is is silly, and it's it's what causes the death of political parties when you start to be just so inward looking. Yeah. Right. No. Thanks again. I, now I, I I understand maybe maybe from a maybe from a business perspective this woman should not have gone on the view. Maybe she should have recognized that this is just such a hot potato issue. If I come out and say that I'm a pro-choice conservative, even though I believe that this is consistent with my overall image of government, that government should save the heck out of people's lives, and it shouldn't be, you know, it should be a choice that the individual makes. You know, even if you want to argue that maybe from a small p political perspective, it was dumb of her to do that. At the same time, you know, that's what's going to cost you your job. Uh, Mike in Waterford. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mike. I think uh, that her position was perfectly consistent with being a constitutional conservative. The Roe versus Wade says that the woman has a right to have to control her body. And if eventually the fetus becomes has rights, then the fetus will at a certain time have constitutional mm-hmm. rights. And, and that's where the, the changes will happen in the law. But we are a nation of laws, and, and right now, our moral feelings about abortion are inconsistent a little bit mm-hmm. with the legal things of abortion. Right. Her so, position was consistent. So you don't think that this is so controversial or so out of the mainstream or so ridiculous that, that, that she she should lose her credentials to be a member of the Republican Party or a conservative oh, commentator? Certainly not. I think she, I think she walked the line perfectly by saying she's a constitutional conservative, and right now a woman has a right to control her body in regards to that. 
Right. Yeah. And until there's some change in the constitutional interpretation, what else can you be but a consistent conservative? By, right. You know. that, nope. I, thank, thanks for calling. Yeah, that's the point. One of somebody makes on our on our text line. Uh, you know, Tommy is is pro life, but her stance is we rather are we are conservative. Rather whether we're conservative or not, we should not dictate what a woman wants to do with her body. I guess I just party in power or not. I just think any political party needs to avoid becoming so narrowly focused on, admittedly, a very, very important issue that you decide that we're going to exclude everybody who does not agree with us and that if you have any sort of dissent at all, you, you can't be tolerated. I mean, we, we saw that during the campaign, for goodness sakes, for, for president, where you know there, there were some people that were just completely um, – from the beginning, big Donald Trump supporters, other people who weren't. But, you know, at the end of the day, don't you all have to come together and say we're all working for the common good? It's 926 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 928 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Every NFL team, at the end of the year, when the teams disband and the players go home, they should give people a copy of Wagner's top ten rules of life, including rule number four, which is... Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 a.m. or variations thereof. Packers cornerback Mackinton Dorliant arrested in Iowa. Here's the story. Guy apparently uh, goes to went to the University of Northern Iowa. So Saturday night, Sunday morning, he and one of his buddies um, who plays cornerback for the Chicago Bears, DeAndre Hall, they and some of their posse or their gang or their friends are apparently outside a place called Sharky's Fun House trying to get into the bar. The bouncer will not let them into the bar for whatever reasons, and a fight breaks out. So the cops get called. you got these football players. There is a brawl. Hall, that's the Chicago football player, um, he was apparently, according to the report, in the middle of the disturbance, flailing his arms and yelling profanity at bar staff and patrons. When an officer removed him from the crowd, he continued trying to get away from officers, yelling and spitting in the faces of officers present. Okay, that's Wagner's rule of life, like 4.5, the subset. When you're involved in the fight with, and the cops show up, do not continue the fight with them and spit in them. Hall resisted as he was placed in handcuffs. He refused to enter the back seat of the car, at which point an officer tasered his left leg. Okay, so that's the Bears quarterback. Dorliant, this is the Packers guy, attempted to grab Hall and pull him away from the officers as he was being arrested, uh, despite verbal instructions to stay back from the scene. Once Hall was driven away, this is the guy who's now in handcuffs, who's been spitting on the officers and been tasered. When Hall was driven away, Packers cornerback Dorliant approached an officer while yelling and waving his arms in a threatening manner. Um, at the same time, you know, t- two, two additional officers um, then get involved. And uh, one, apparently, this is so out of control that he has to pull out his baton. The defendant, this is the Packers player, was yelling and using profanity at all the officers. Um, He was admittedly jacked up on adrenaline. My guess is something else as well. He was placed under arrest and charged with misdemeanor interference. So once again, Wagner's rule of life for nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 in the morning. We could modify that. Nothing good happens trying to force your way into Sharky's Funhouse in Iowa City, in Cedar Falls, Iowa, at bar time. 
935, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Statistics indicate that more Americans than ever are suffering from insomnia. What's behind the trend, and what are the best ways to treat it? Get the details on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Tune in. John McCure does a great show, 420 today. Coming up in less than a half hour. All right, it's one of everybody's big pet peeves. Left lane hogs. And one state is getting ready to crack down on them, we will discuss. But right now, big thing, number three. And I admit, the more I read about this story and the more I thought about over the weekend, the more aggravating this became. You had the story late last week, the horrible story about the inspector, the city home inspector, who was killed, um, shot to death with a shotgun in what appears to be a carjacking while he was sitting outside a building. Now, when the news first broke, I think there was some degree of uncertainty there about whether the the particular building inspector, was this a deal where he had gotten into confrontation with the owner or something like that? That doesn't appear to be the case. Guy is um, 23rd and Cherry, about 2 o'clock Wednesday afternoon, broad daylight, 23rd and Cherry, sitting in his car, Um, there to conduct a routine inspection of the outside of a building with code violations that hadn't been conducted. So he's there. What the police say is they believe the city worker was killed by a shotgun during an attempted carjacking. So he wasn't targeted because he was a city worker. He was just parked on the street at 2 o'clock in the afternoon last Wednesday. District. So what, what they realize is that he's been killed with a shotgun. A district crime analyst realizes that a shotgun had been used during a carjacking earlier that day, and then the police begin searching for the cars involved in that crime, which is a note to judges. All right, carjacking is a serious offense. Taking things from people at gunpoint always have the potential to go bad, and slapping people's wrists for doing that never helps. I digress. Within 90 minutes of finding the the city worker dead, officers saw a Toyota that they had believed had been involved in an earlier carjacking and chased it. Now, get this. Two teenagers, ages 16 and 17. Did I mention she was MPS on break last week? No, this is is 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday. So the, the police, they, they chased this car that had been involved in earlier carjacking. Two teenagers, 16 and 17, were arrested after they crashed the car. How often have we heard that? And a foot chase. Soon after, police see the other car that was involved in the earlier carjackings, which Zacchaeus Soul, begin a pursuit of that. And as always happens, the carjackers flee again. They crash that car near 18th and West Nash Streets. This, by the way, for people who have issues with the Milwaukee Police uh, pursuit policy, this is standard procedure. If you are a carjacker, you run from the police. And more often than not, they don't chase you. In this case, because they thought it might be a murder case, they did. So the Kia takes off. It crashes. Three people um, run from the car. Two teenagers, ages 17 and 19, and a 21-year-old man were arrested. So you got five people. The case was referred to the district attorney's office over the weekend. Uh, they have, they're reviewing it, and, and I anticipate you're going to have charges coming out maybe today, maybe tomorrow, but they got the case over the weekend. But here is what the police are saying about these five people. The 16-year-old. Okay, this was the one that was in the stolen Toyota that, that fled, crashed, that crashed, and then 
tried to flee. The 16-year-old faces a tentative charge of operating a vehicle without owner's consent in children's court. His prior record, prior record, he's 16, includes armed robbery and motor vehicle theft arrests in February. All right, this is March. Armed robbery, motor vehicle theft arrest. That's the 16-year-old. The 17-year-old who was arrested with the 16-year-old in the stolen Toyota, he faces possible charges of homicide, attempted armed robbery, and carjacking. He has a prior robbery, assault, and battery arrests. Robbery, assault, and battery arrests. The 17-year-old arrested after the Kia Soul crashed. He's looking at charges of homicide. He has prior arrests in connection with having a dangerous weapon and motor vehicle theft. The beat goes on. The 19-year-old, again, facing charges of operating without an owner's consent. His arrest history dates back to 2013. So he's 19 now. That means he was, I don't know, what, 15 when he started? Includes obstruction and motor vehicle theft. He has an open warrant for resisting and obstructing an officer. And the 21-year-old who is looking at charges of homicide, etc., he has prior arrests dating back to 2011, so that when he was 15, and includes weapons, theft, and drug offenses. He has two open cases in Milwaukee County related to being a felon in possession of a firearm, carrying a concealed weapon, theft, resisting an officer, and bail jumping. And all of these people were out on the streets. Every single one of them was out on the streets, either awaiting charges for things, on bail for charges, on presumably probation or parole from charges, or as a fugitive on charges. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, over the weekend, I received a number of texts and emails from people saying, you know, w- will you name the judges and the court commissioners that, that put these people back out on the street? And the answer is yes. Once the names become public, I, I think it is important. It is important to identify members of the judiciary who are taking people after the police catch them and then putting them back out on the streets so that they can commit crimes. In one respect, though, it's a little bit unfair to do it because pretty much all the judges are doing this. But here is what I would like to discuss. In In light of this latest situation, is it time once and for all to say, we need to stop the revolving door of putting dangerous juveniles back out on the street or dangerous young adults back out on the street over and over and over again so that they can commit more and more serious crimes. Obviously, what happened to all these people who have been through the criminal justice system, in some cases many times, was not enough to discourage them from going out at 2 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon and murdering a city employee with a shotgun as part of an ongoing carjacking scheme. Is it time to say enough is enough, and is it time to start saying to these judges, you are not doing the community any favor by putting people on probation or double-secret probation or $500 signature bonds that put dangerous people back out on the street? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 943. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 
946, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It is a credit to the Milwaukee police. They apparently have quickly been able to catch the five people responsible for the murder of the city building inspector last Wednesday afternoon, shot in broad daylight while he sat in his car outside a building on 23rd and Cherry. Five people, all with, it sounds like, lengthy criminal records. The youngest is 15. The oldest is 21. And the question becomes, what are these people doing out on the street? Um, Shernaz in Brookfield, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Uh, I am uh, I'm kind of surprised why these kids are on the street. And secondly, my question is, are we safe? Today I have to go to the Shorewood via Capital Drive, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking whether I should go or I should cancel. If these things happen, are we safe by going or driving all the way to Capital to the Shorewood? Mm-hmm. I'm really afraid. Well, I, and that's, I, I mean, I think that's the question. Now, my, my answer to you would be, yes, I mean, I, I drive that route all the time. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't, if you've got to go to Shorewood, I wouldn't hesitate to do it, but I would be more aware. And that's, you know, you, you raise that question that a lot of a lot of people have. It's like, all right, wh- when is this going to happen? And, you know, it is the randomness, I, th- I think, Shanaz, that gets a lot of people just worried. This guy was sitting outside a building, minding his own business at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and you have these five people, most of whom should probably have been in jail, um, one way or the other, come up and somebody shoots him. I mean, how terrible could that be? That is absolutely correct, you know, and sometimes... Oop. You stop your car in the stoplight. They come in with the guns. Oh yeah, no. There, I mean, there's all. I mean, thanks for calling. No, there's there. You you definitely need to be aware. There's all this stuff going on. There's the whole bump and run thing now, where you're stopped at the stoplight and somebody bumps you. You get out of your car and somebody sticks a gun in your face. And and here's the truth of what is going on. There. There's a relatively limited number of people who are doing this. I know it gets the attention, but if you talk to the cops, they will tell you it is the same people over and over and over again. Look, most people, most teenagers, even in the city of Milwaukee, it's not going to occur to them to take a gun and carjack somebody. But you have a limited number of people who are out there, and the problem is once they get caught, they get into a revolving door criminal justice system in Milwaukee County, and they are turned loose over and over and over over again every one of these five that were involved in this incident every one of them has been through the criminal justice system quote unquote in milwaukee some multiple times and you have some people in milwaukee are saying well we need to close juvenile prisons my god can you imagine what would happen if you closed juvenile prisons right now we're not what we're doing isn't working 15 and 16 year olds out in broad daylight on a wednesday afternoon with people that are sticking shotguns in people's faces and then shooting them four one four seven nine nine one six twenty judy in bayside judy good morning you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Judy. Um, listened to your show and Charlie's for years, never called in. But well, th- this motivated you to pick up the phone. Oh, huh? yes. Every yeah. time I hear about this, my blood boils. Something has to be done. We do need to build more facilities. That's one thing you can take my taxes for. Right. Forget everything else. But it's a serious crime, even if you don't get her physically. How do you get over that emotionally and me as an older woman oh, yeah. go out again? to do any kind of errands. I mean, that the young man over the weekend with the pizza driver. Right. I mean, those, these are terrible things. And when right. what other bothers me a lot also is when 
on something unfortunate happens to the juvenile that's doing this, then the parents come and blame the police. Well, where are the parents? Right. If my child did something like this one time, I can guarantee you they wouldn't be out doing it again. Well, you know, and i got to tell you, I mean, the thing that caught me, okay, now maybe MPS was on break last week. I don't know. But th- this, this is 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You've got a 16-year-old. You've got a 17-year-old who's involved with this. Um, you know, where two 17-year-olds, a 16-year-old, that are out on this robbery spree. They have been doing this all day. I mean, what is it now just kind of like Lord of the Flies that we're letting the kids just run the streets and, and do whatever? And again, all with lengthy records, which makes you wonder, why are they still out on the streets? Why can't we lock these people up either to try to rehabilitate them or more likely, Judy, just to protect the rest of us from them? I totally agree. I, I told Justine, I have never been in a protest in anything. Start giving me the names of right. who's letting these people out and start a protest, and I'm going to be there. Okay, well, <laughs> well then, no, Judy, that's, that's fair enough. And I'm getting a number of, I'm getting a number of texts from people saying, you can name the names of the judges, the court commissioners. I will, I promise. Once, once the charges are out and once these people are identified, that should come out today or tomorrow, as soon as the DA issues charges and the names are public, you know, then, then we'll be able to find out what judges or what court commissioners thought it was a good idea to put people back out on on the streets. And again, you look at this, and see, this is not an atypical case. That's what's so frustrating. How often do we have these stories about people who have been through the criminal justice system over and over again? And if you think about it, it makes sense. Look, for most people, you're not going to wake up on a a Wednesday morning and say, hey, today's the day I'm going to go out with my buddies, and we're going to take a shotgun, and we're going to stick it in somebody's chest to take their car from them. That's not... That is not the reaction that most people have. There is a criminal element. And I understand some people say, well, they're only 15 or 16. How dare you call them, you know, criminals? Well, they they are criminals. And in some cases, they're hardened criminals. And you need to protect society. And maybe from the perspective of the judges or court commissioners, that makes you unpopular with a defense attorney here or there. But who cares? At the end of the day, aren't you supposed to be about protecting the community? I think one of the earlier reports had either the 15 or 16-year-old was out on a $500 signature bond from for a car theft. $500 signature bond means all you have to do is sign your name promising that if you don't show up or you commit more crimes, you'll pay the $500. I mean, it's just it's an insult. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Vic in Fox Point. Vic, good morning. Vic, you got to turn on your radio. Vic, Vic, Vic. Okay, let's try Freddie in Milwaukee. Freddie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. You talking to Freddie? I'm talking to Freddie. Hello. Yeah, okay. Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Now, listen, seeing how motor vehicles come under the state of Wisconsin, okay, the right. registration is with the state. When all these carjackers get caught, instead of turning them over to the to the the bad system we got here in the counties, why don't we just make this a state offense and ship them over to Madison and let them be tried over there? Well, the problem is, I mean, it is a state offense. Car theft is in violation of the state law, but or 
murder is in violation of state law. What happens is you have to be tried, the word is venue, where you commit the crime. The county where you commit the crime is where the venue is. So if you committed the crime in Milwaukee County, you have to be tried in Milwaukee County. And the way the system works is the DA in Milwaukee County is the one responsible for the charges. And look, I understand whenever I do this, I know that there's some judges who I give heartburn for this. And they're like, well, you don't understand. You know, you we, we're just we've got this criminal justice system that is swamped. Well, part of the reason it is swamped is you have repeat offenders who are coming in over and over and over again. And rather than going with this system where we say, okay, we're going to try to give everybody every possible break and we don't want to make too many people upset. So we're just going to, we're going to put them back out on the streets. Well, when you put them back out on the streets, this is the type of thing that happens. And, And yes, once these charges are issued and their names are out there, to the extent we can figure out exactly what their records are and who it was that let them out, or in the case of at least the 21-year-old who's been through the criminal justice system for quite a while, who it was that imposed sentences that were so lenient that the guy was in a position to be able to come out and be involved in allegedly killing a city worker as he sat in his car at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in broad daylight on a Wednesday. It is a continuing series of frustrations, and I'm sorry, I'm going to side with the law-abiding citizens of Milwaukee who want to be safe, or people like our first caller, the nice lady from Brookfield, who says, hey, i got to come from Brookfield, i got to go down to Shorewood to do some stuff, and I'm worried about driving down Capitol Drive. And you want to say, well, okay, don't, don't change your lifestyle too much. But at the same time, you understand why she's worried about that, because if she parks her car or stops her car at a red light, could the same thing happen to her that happened to this poor guy on Wednesday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? It's 10.08, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Yeah, um, opening day, our coverage, 8.30 in the morning. I am going to be in the dugout. And as I was saying earlier, you want to be listening because when the teams go out and they have, like, infield practice and such, uh, balls are flying around. And I, typically, I have my back to the field as I'm interviewing people. So y- you never know. Again, you never know when that ball is going to come flying. And it is live radio. So you can be listening, say, oh, the air line just went dead there. What's going on? Oh, Jeff just got hit in the back of the head with a baseball. Or hopefully not. But um, opening day is always one of my favorite days. And we do everything to bring you the sights and sounds of baseball. So uh, join us a week from today, 830. It just it means spring is here. All right. Here's the breaking news story. Uh, John Dickert, who is the lefty mayor of Racine, announcing that he plans to resign as mayor to pursue an executive directorship at a water advocacy group. Uh, Dickert has been one of the guys who has been instrumental in trying to block Waukesha from getting water from Lake Michigan. Um, So far, unsuccessful in doing that. He's been the mayor since 2009. He is going to be... Uh, presumably uh, leaving to take the executive director vacancy at one of these water advocacy groups um, where he will continue to, I don't know, push for uh, clean water, I guess, something that we're all in favor of. But if it, like Racine's position sort of was, seemed to be that, well, if you buy it from us, you know, you, you can have Lake Michigan water. But if you buy it from, like, Oak Creek, well, then we're not interested. Anyhow, Dickert saying that he is going to be stepping down as the mayor to join the Great Lakes and St. Lawrence Cities Initiative. Uh, no time limit, timetable for when he's officially going to be stepping down. What will happen is that um, there will be a special election 
um, after the April election where you've got like a common council, the common council's up for grabs, um, Alderman could then somebody's going to serve as a stint as interim mayor and there will probably be, again, depending on the timing of when Dickert steps down, there will be a special election. But uh, John Dickert, the mayor of Racine, that's the breaking news story. He's stepping down, taking a role with a water advocacy group. All right. This is the section of the program. We do this every day. I call it dealer's choice. It is not necessarily the biggest topic of the day. Um, By the way, um, speaking of that, Stock market, the Dow is down 126 points. I think a lot of people thought it was going to be worse. This is in reaction to the the health care defeat and questions about whether or not President Trump is going to continue to be able to get his agenda through Congress. My, my, my remark would be, first of all, it, it's it's silly. It is silly to make financial decisions based on one or two day political events. I mean, just remember what happened with Brexit. You know, in Brexit, okay, Great Britain uh, stepping down from the European Union, and for the first two days, the stock market's down, you know, hundreds and hundreds of points, and people are saying it's going to be terrible. And then a week later or two weeks later, it, it's hitting record highs. So you, you don't want to make investment decisions based on a particular transitory political position. Secondly, as I argued earlier today, I, I think that the notion that you weren't able to get a health care bill out of the House, that this dooms the Trump presidency, like some people were saying, is absolutely dumb. I mean, you, you can make an argument that maybe that health care shouldn't have been the first thing that they took up. But President Reagan, for example, who went on to, I think, be one of the greatest presidents in history, certainly perhaps the greatest president in my lifetime, um, had a rough, rocky, rock, rocky year or two, rough and rocky year or two, and then, you know, it all started coming together and working. I think, you know, once President Trump starts to focus on tax reform and regulatory relief and things like that, you know, you're, you're going to see the potential for some great successes. Um, so this idea that, oh, this is going to be just terrible, they're not going to be able to get anything through because you couldn't get 15 or 20 ultra-conservative members to get on board with health care reform, I, I think that is silly. And a lot of people, again, thought the stock market was going to be down a lot more. It's down 126 points. Okay, dealer's choice. There's a lot of stuff that goes on on the roadways that is of annoyance to people. And, and I all I know we all have our, our different kind of pet peeves. For me, one of the things is the people who, like, are going 95 miles an hour and they're pulling in and they're weaving in and out of traffic all, all because they're in a hurry to get somewhere. And, yes, they're driving 90 miles an hour and I'm driving 75. And, yeah, they'll get where they're going a couple of minutes before I do, but – at the end of the day, they put people's lives in jeopardy, and who cares? One of the things that irritates a lot of people is left-lane hogs. Here's the way the Washington Post is reporting this. Drivers who hog the left lane could soon face fines up to $250 in Maryland under a bill designed to ease bottlenecks and reduce road rage by making it easier for motorists to get around slower vehicles. The bill, which passed the Maryland House and is pending in the Senate, would put Maryland among a growing number of states cracking down on drivers who seem to defy a basic lesson of high school drivers' education, use the left lane to pass, and then move back to the right. Virginia lawmakers recently added a new mandatory minimum fine to their longstanding law requiring motorists to move right after passing. All right, so what the law would say is that 
even if you are driving the speed limit, once you get into the left lane to pass a car, you need to get over to the right as soon as practicable. You know, obviously, if the right lane is all jammed up and there's nowhere to merge back in, then then you stay in the right lane. They stay in the left lane. But the law would require you essentially to pass in the left lane and then get back into the right lane. And if didn't, if you know, and if you didn't use it, you didn't do this, well, then what would happen is you could get a, a ticket. All right, 414. 414- 799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, that does revert to some of the basic principles that we, we learned in that we learned in you know driver's ed. You pass in the left, you drive in the right. Should we crack down in Wisconsin on left lane hogs? 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Maryland is about to do it. Is this something we should do in Wisconsin? Or, I guess the argument is, no, this would encourage people to drive faster. Um, If you're going the speed limit, should you have a right to be in whatever lane that you want to be in? I mean, if the speed limit is 55 and you're driving 55, do you have a right to be in both the right or the left lane? Or does this make sense? We have touched a nerve. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1015. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Mike and Fond du Lac writes, passed the law yesterday. 414-799-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, Maryland is about to become one of a growing number of states that would impose fines for driving, for lingering in the left lane. They call them left lane hogs. Essentially, if you're on roads, if you're on a road where the speed limit is 55 or greater, you pass in the left lane, and then as soon as is reasonable or practicable, you get back into the right lane. Left lane is for drive for passing. Right lane is for driving. Let's start with uh, Dan in Slinger. Dan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. What do you think? Well, I'm a truck driver. I'm stuck behind one of them right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're you're trying to get past, and the person is. I assume now they're they're driving the speed limit or something, right, or close to it. Uh yeah. Well, and Betty's on a. Te- well, he or she is probably texting too. Okay. So you uh, passed the law. Yeah, like the the email passed uh, yesterday, last week. Uh, this is ridiculous. There are so many people out here who think they own that left lane, mm-hmm. and uh, they will slow down in front of you on purpose because. Good Lord, why is that truck going that fast? Well, well, exactly. And and see, and so I, I mean, I think, first of all, it makes people angry. Secondly, I think it encourages people then to do stuff like try to pass on the right or whatever. I mean, it's it just left lane for passing, then get the heck over and let the faster traffic move. And if, you know, if you're speeding or something, Dan, and there's a police up along the way, there's a cop, and you get pulled over, well, you get pulled over. But I think Amen, the problem... Right. No, thanks for calling. I mean, I, no, I think the problem is that, again, you, you have... But when people linger in the left lane, and I'm talking about linger, I understand sometimes you pass and you, you can't get back over, or there's just too much traffic to get back over. But when you linger, when you have that opportunity to do it, and you're just there blocking people, what you're encouraging them to do is you're encouraging them to weave in and out and try to go around you. And that, I think, is just fundamentally unsafe. Drive in the left, in the right lane, pass in the left. 414-799-1620. Mary Jo in Brookfield. Mary Jo, good morning. 
Hey, good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, what do you think hey, about you this? You know, I drive about 130 miles back and forth to work every day. I'm on the freeway. I'm doing, you know, the speed limit's 70. I'm doing 80, 85, and I still have people give me their high beams and want me to move over. And I'm passing cars in the right, you know, I'm in the left lane, and I'm passing cars on the right, but they still want me to move over. I'm doing way past the speed limit. Right. That's a, so those are the times where you want you want to pull over to the right, and when they pass you at 90 miles an hour, you're saying, where is the cop now? Where is the police officer exactly. to pull them over? At the same yeah. time, I mean, just, just let's talk in general, though, Mary Jo. You're driving a lot. Um, you're, it sounds to me like you're using the left lane for passing, and you're trying to get over whenever you can, right? Yes, but yet, but yet I'm also driving fast, right. so I should be in the left lane. No, it's well, just the left lane is for passing. Well, this would be the left lane is for passing, and essentially if there's the people that are driving, because I think the concern is that let's say you're going 80 and you've got some crazy person behind you that wants to go 90 to get by you, they're going to swing into the right lane. They're going to try to pass you on the right. Um, that's I think that's the concern is, you know, drive right, pass left. Yeah. Okay. okay no, thanks. But I mean, look, and I, I get that. And there's there's lots of there, there's lots of pet peeves that are out there. And I am not endorsing driving recklessly or speeding or things like that. But at the same time, I do acknowledge that I don't see why, you know, it. it Again, right lane is for driving, left lane is for passing. And then, again, if you've got the crazy people that are driving really too fast, just let the cops end up dealing with that. But one of the things, if you talk to a lot of people, a lot of the police officers and a lot of the accident reconstruction specialists, they'll tell you the real problem. When, when you really see the, the bad accidents, the bad collisions, it's where you have people that are weaving in and out of traffic, moving back and forth between lanes where you have high speed where some cars are moving really fast and some aren't. That, that's kind of the issue. And by, by using the left lane as a passing lane, I think you do you know, make it easier for this. Um, have a text here. You know, Ashley says... Um, that, that's the European law. That's it. You know, you, you pass in the left, you, you move on the right. 414-799-1620 is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Dan in Port Washington. Dan, good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Would this make things better on the roadway? Uh, it would make it a lot less better. It would also reduce road rage. It would also, uh, I would also ask in it that the patrol officer would be uh, offer pace cars. So on the freeway versus sitting on the side of the road, they yeah. would lead the traffic. So <laughs> cars don't step on their brakes, go 10 under, but lead it and say be a pace car like a NASCAR because what happens is I drive from Port Washington, Milwaukee every day. I call it the Mequon Shuffle. <laughs> they start passing in the right-hand lane, and then all kind of facial and finger gestures start <laughs> to go up. And they're not texting, they're hexing. Right. <laughs> so I, think, I think actually it would cut down many times on road rage. Oh, I, I agree. If no. we cut down on road rage, but there has to be the sheriff on the road, not on the side of the road in conjunction. Yeah, thanks for calling, Mac. I have to think that through. But, yeah, I, I do believe it's the Mequon shuffle. Yeah, right Right as you get from Port Washington, right as you come into Mequon, then you've got the people that are slowing down in, in the left lane. And I also appreciate that in, in rush hour traffic, it's going to be a little bit different because, I mean, heavy-duty rush hour traffic, it's really when there's all these cars there, then 
the left lane really isn't as much of a passing lane as it is just a, a driving lane because there's just nowhere to go. But but what does happen a lot of times when you're not in rush hour traffic, there's not heavy traffic, what is frustrating is you're driving, I don't know, from Milwaukee to Oconomowoc at 7 o'clock at night, and there's somebody who's just camped out in the left-hand lane. And I do agree. I mean, I think it promotes a lack of safety, again, because people are weaving in and out, but also just because it's like, okay, get, get, out of, get out of the way. If I'm willing to, if the speed limit is 70 and I'm driving 74 and you're driving 68 in the left lane, just, just get out of my way. And if you're mad at me because I'm going a few miles over the limit, I'm willing to take my chances with the police officer, especially since, I mean, what's the, what's the difference between the right-hand lane and the left-hand lane? Now, 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 I do understand every once in a while you get into these patches of road where – one lane is markedly worse than the other. I was driving yesterday, and I, I was in this one particular area where it, it was actually the left lane was a nightmare. The right lane was relatively nice. So, I mean, that. but I could see you reverse that situation. You're kind of going, well, I, I mean, I, I do – I don't want to drive in the left lane, but the right lane has potholes that are going to eat my car. So I do understand that maybe there needs to be at least a little bit of discretion. Jim in Burlington. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? Yeah, I, I actually uh, called Tyler August's office up in Madison. I okay. just talked to him direct. But I suggested that it'll get rid of 50% of road rage if they can get people out of that left lane. Right. My suggestion was is out west, driving Colorado, for instance, the signs don't say slower traffic, keep right, because that's a judgment call. Right, but as to what slower say, traffic is, yeah. The signs say keep right except to pass. Yep. That's pretty simple, straightforward, no confusion. Right, yeah, because then you don't have to decide, well, I'm not slow. Am I slower traffic or, or what? It's just like, okay, pass. No, I think, see, this is something that, again, I, I think would have very, very, very widespread support. And more importantly, and this is what I'm all about. I think it would make the roads safer. And in some respects, you say well, we shouldn't need this necessarily, but I think we do. Ten thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. The Milwaukee District Attorney's Office, County District Attorney's Office, has just issued a criminal complaint charging. Three people, now Fox 6 was reporting, five have been arrested in connection with the carjacking and the death of the City of Neighborhood Services employee. Three have now been charged in connection with his murder. And I don't know what's going to happen. The other two might be charged with other things. But, man, oh, man, uh, the three. Get this. Now, this is, the man was allegedly killed with a shotgun as he sat in his car at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on 23rd and Cherry last Wednesday. Um, the three charged, well, 17-year-old Deshaun Scott, 17-year-old Quaylen Shaw, and 21-year-old Eric Smiley. The 17-year-old Deshaun Scott faces the strongest charges, first-degree reckless homicide by use of a dangerous weapon. So presumably... I haven't read the full criminal complaint, but I'm assuming that means they think he was actually the shooter. Attempted armed robbery and fleeing, eluding a traffic officer, causing damage to the property. He's looking at more than 130 years in prison if convicted. Um, the other 17-year-old, Quaylen Shaw, um, and the 21-year-old, Eric Smiley, were charged with felony murder, which is they were party to it, essentially a party to a crime thing. Um, 
all three were also charged with armed robbery as party to a crime. So that's the other 17-year-old. And the 21-year-old Smiley was charged with fleeing or eluding an officer, possession of a firearm by a felon, misdemeanor battery, domestic abuse, and two counts of felony bail jumping. He faces, uh, let's see, Shaw, which is a 17-year-old, faces bail jumping charges as well. I don't know which 17-year-old is which when it comes to the criminal record, but the reports are one of them um, has prior robbery, assault, and battery arrests. The other 17-year-old has prior arrests in connection with having a dangerous weapon and motor vehicle theft. And, of course, the 21-year-old um, prior arrests dating to 2011, including weapons theft and drug offenses, two open cases in Milwaukee County related to being a felon in possession of a firearm, carrying a concealed weapon, theft, resisting an officer, and bail jumping, which, of course, raises the fundamental question, what the hell were any of these people doing out on a street in the street in a position to go ahead and engage in what appeared to be an ongoing carjacking ring, and now somebody's dead. And I don't blame the Milwaukee Police Department. They did their job. Don't blame the mayor's office. You know, this is one that comes back, again, on the criminal justice system where people get caught committing serious offenses. They go through the justice system, and then they are turned back out on the street, and people end up dead. At what point in time will people say enough is enough? Just You just do not know. All right, we're going to take a very quick break. In less than three minutes, we're going to discuss this, this flap involving United Airlines and their decision not to allow certain people to fly over the weekend. Is it as outrageous as they say? We discuss. It's 1039, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1042, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, here's the deal. United Airlines flight from Denver to Minneapolis yesterday. Uh, three teenage girls wearing leggings, you know, the, the spandex leisure wear or whatever, leggings, and, and just, just the leggings, all try to board this flight. And the gate agent at United Airlines says, no, you know, you're, you're not going to be allowed on the plane just with the leggings. You need to put something on over it. So one of the girls um, pulls out a dress and puts a skirt or something on over the leggings. The, the, other, the other two don't. Well, what happens is there is this, there's a woman who's getting on the plane herself. And um, she is, her name is Shannon Watts, and she's this lefty activist. She's the founder of some group called Moms Demand Action. So she watches this happen. The kids themselves aren't complaining about this, the teenagers. But this, this woman sees this and becomes outraged that the teenagers aren't allowed to be on the plane with, with just these, these leggings. And so she sends out this, this tweet um, raising this issue, saying, well, this, this is just terrible. You've got these girls um, who are, are just not allowed to do this, and they're upset because now they're not going to be on the plane, and, and isn't this awful, and isn't this um, you know, sexist, and all these terrible things. So then she tweets this out, and this becomes a firestorm, and now there's a lot of the Hollywood celebrities who are weighing in on this. I'm looking at some today. Patricia Arquette. When's the last time she did something? Leggings are business attire for 10-year-olds. Their business is being children. Um, uh, she responds that way. Sarah Silverman, um, I think they need to update their rules, etc., etc. Seth Rogen, etc., etc. So all these people are denouncing United Airlines for not allowing the, these, these teenagers onto the plane just wearing the leggings. United Airlines says 
okay, wait a second. said, first of all, for regular passengers, for regular passengers, leggings like this would be appropriate. So if this was just an average person flying, we wouldn't we wouldn't have a deal with this. Nothing at all. But but these aren't regular passengers. These are these are people traveling what they call their pass travelers, P A S S, pass travelers, which is meaning that somebody in their family works for United Airlines. So if you're a pass traveler, this is you know a benefit that allows United employees and their dependents to travel for free on a standby basis. But they say, okay, we have a different dress code and standard for our pass travelers, the ones who are, again, employees, or in this case, probably dependents of employees, who are traveling free. And, you know, as... As such, we view them as representatives of the company since they're, again, flying for free. And, you know, our rules say that if you're traveling on a pass, you're not allowed to wear Lycra and spandex leggings, tattered or ripped jeans, midriff shirts, flip-flops, or any article of clothing that shows your undergarments. And they say it's not that we want our standby travelers to come in wearing a suit or tie or that sort of thing. We want people to be comfortable when they travel as long as it's neat and in good taste for that environment. So they say, look, you know, this is we don't we don't allow past travelers to have flip flops. If you were just a regular paying customer and you showed up in these leggings, it would be fine. If you're a regular paying customer and you showed up wearing flip-flops, we would let you on the plane. But because you are in this special category, you know, you're flying for free, you're a representative of the company, you know, we you know, we you know, we we impose these different kind of standards. And so, yes, we told them they couldn't get on the plane and no, we're not backing down on this. All right, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Understanding the context of this, is United Airlines being unreasonable when they say no leggings, no flip-flops? Yes, it is a different standard for the past travelers, the folks that are flying for free, than it is for the paying customers. I mean, is this this sexist, unreasonable position, or knowing all the facts... Do they have the right to set these standards? Let's start with Karen in West Bend. Karen, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Karen. Um, my, my husband's a pilot, and a few times we've traveled on a free pass, which is more of a pain than, than <laughs> what it, you know, it right. sounds really great, but it isn't. Because anyway. you only get to fly standby, and so that assumes there's availability, and there's no, you know, right, I got it. You can be stuck for hours. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we know up front what the dress code is. You know, and we have to follow that dress code, or we are denied that that mm-hmm. boarding. And you know, I believe that that these people flying on a free pass knew that dress code. And you, you know, for this, if that's part of the rules to get a free flight, then that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And they're not being sexist or discriminating. It's just a rule that people know about up front, and you have to follow that rule. Now, if they applied this rule to, like, a regular passenger, in that situation, might it be a little bit unreasonable? 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, see, I, I see. I agree, Karen. I guess when I when I was looking at this story, I was originally thinking, okay, you know, leggings that that's a common thing that you know teenage girls and stuff wear, and and I don't know that I necessarily think it's any different than yoga pants. But then once I found out that this wasn't that, that they were actually in a way they are representatives of the company if they're flying on one of these passes, I think the company has a right to say. Yeah. Okay. We want you know we want you to dress a certain way, and you know, exactly. yeah, and, right. Thanks. I guess that to me that's the big distinction. If they were saying to like a twelve or thirteen year old girl, all right, otherwise completely age appropriate leggings, you can't come on the plane. I think it might be a story. But once you find out that they're flying for free and they are family members of at least presumably some employee. I think it has a, makes a difference. Lizzie in Fort Atkinson writes on her text line, Jeff, I heard in a news account that one of the teens, these teens were flying on an employee pass. As a former airline employee, there was a certain dress code. I had to abide by that as well as any guests I allowed to fly with an employee pass for me. The people flying on the employer's tickets are representing the airline and should be held to a higher standard than just the average passenger. When I worked there, the rules were clearly spelled out to employees using the benefit, and it is the responsibility of the employee to ensure their guests follow the rules. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tom in Waukesha. Tom, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. I think you already covered it. My daughter's a flight attendant. She has the same benefit. She's responsible for the people that go. Whether or not the rules are appropriate or not, I guess, is open for debate. But the fact of the matter is they are the rules. Mm -hmm. And the employee that uh, provided those rules can lose that benefit if the pass carriers violate them mm-hmm. do you think it's a dumb rule no i don't yeah i don't i mean i i guess i i don't either and i mean quite candidly if if for men if united airlines wanted to say you know if, if you know if you're flying on this free pass and we're giving you this benefit and we think you're representing the company you know we want you to fly business casual for example that's how we want you to dress i think that's perfectly appropriate and if you don't want to do it well then just buy your own ticket <laughs> it won't be an issue well, the, the woman that would, took outrage to this, standing back watching it, obviously didn't know all the rules. I don't know where she's coming from as far as sticking her nose into something she obviously didn't know anything about. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, like I said, she's, she's some lefty activist group for, from this, this group that I've never heard of before. But she sees this and becomes outraged and thinks, oh, this is a feminist thing. You've got these young teenage girls. And I, look, I, I understand that, like, wearing the leggings is one of, you know, one of the styles that's there. And I'm not arguing that it's inappropriate, but I do think, again, if I'm taking a benefit from the company, if, for example, you know, for example, if uh, if the Packers had made the Super Bowl this year, we were going to be doing my show from, from Houston. That, that was the, the plan for that week. And if WTMJ had said, okay, Jeff, under normal circumstances, if you want to come into work, although I'm dressed in a suit today, but if you want to come into work, you know, normally you come into work wearing blue jeans and a Jimmy Buffett sweatshirt, but because we're sending you down to Houston, you're going to be doing your show in this public venue, and we want you to wear business casual, or we want you to wear a tie, or whatever, they, they have the right to do that. I mean, you know, I, they, they have the right to impose those different things, and candidly, I think it's, you know, no nobody else's business. Jeff in Waukesha. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, I flew. I got a friend that works for one of the airlines, and he gets these buddy passes, so I was able to fly to Florida back for about 50 bucks. Right. And he told me, he said, when you check in, he said, make sure you don't wear jeans. they got a dress code. Well, he didn't tell me I had to wear a collared shirt, so I... At the ticket counter, I'm checking my bag, and she goes, you're going to have to have a collared shirt. Well, give me that bag back. <laughs> it's kind of funny. So I looked up with the 
the bag, and I found a collared shirt yeah. and t-shirt right there at the counter, and uh, yeah. it literally wasn't a problem. But you know, I mean, that's common practice. And hey, for fifty bucks to fly to Florida back, I'll wear a collared shirt. I don't think that's unreasonable. Well, well, right, exactly. And apparently, of the three kids, one of them. I, I reaches into her bag or whatever and pulls out a skirt and pulls puts the skirt on over the leggings. No problem, you know. She gets on on the plane. I mean, I guess right. I just I don't see I don't see where United Airlines is the bad guy in this particular situation. No. Yeah, I would just said, hey, if you, you want to fly with those leggings? Go back and buy a full price ticket. You can wear whatever you want. <laughs> well, right, right, exactly. Now, thanks for the call. I mean, again, this is leggings, but the, the argument, oh, this is sexist. This is terrible. Well, no, it's just. The company says if you're going to be utilizing this company benefit, which is a nice benefit to have, you are viewed as a representative of the company. And so, yeah, we we have this dress code that is different than would apply to you if you were a normal passenger. And they say, you know, we're not turning away teenage girls that show up in, in the leggings, per se, as long as they're appropriate or whatever. But th- that's not what this was. This was the added factor here. Wayne in Milwaukee. Wayne, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yes, Jeff. Uh, you're absolutely right. United has the right to have rules, and rules need to be followed. And these kids got to remember, that's a privilege, not a necessity. And right there, that's the bottom line. It's a privilege, not a necessity. United Airlines has rules. You have to follow them. In America, that's the whole problem with America. We don't want to follow rules. And that's why we're in the situation we're in at any level. And we need to follow the rules. Well, right. And, and I mean, maybe you can argue, I don't see, and I wouldn't even argue that it's necessarily a dumb rule. They're just... No, it's it, not. It's, right. I mean, thanks. I mean, it, again, it's like... Okay, it's kind of like the dress shirt thing. It's like you are, if you're taking advantage of this particular benefit, we view you as a representative of of the airline. And so, yeah, we're trying to we're trying to class the thing up a little or, or whatever. But they, they have the right to do that. And you have the right to say, like our, our last caller was saying, hey, they, they told me I had to wear a collared shirt. No blue jeans and a collared shirt. Okay, you have the right to say, well, I right, tell you what, instead of giving me the $50 round-trip ticket to Florida, I'll pay $350 and I'll wear a sweatshirt and blue jeans. Or you can wear the collared shirt and some pair of dress pants and you get to fly for 50 bucks. I vote for the 50 bucks. Look, I, I am not a rules or rules guy, but in this particular case, I really think United... I think United Airlines, for all the bad press they're getting, I, I think it is undeserved. I think they have the right to establish these dress codes for employees or for people who are flying on the cheap, and you have the right to decide whether you want to follow them or not. It's that simple. 1055, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. Last year it was destruction in Sherman Park. This year it's rebirth. Go inside the good things that are happening in the recovering Milwaukee neighborhood. That's on Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 320 today. All right, this story, uh, it come, it, I put it in the category of there is a special place in you-know-where for whoever is doing this. Um, up in the Eau Claire area, um, Lake Haley, um, which is just northeast of Eau Claire, they have, there is apparently somebody, and they have kind of a grainy photograph of the guy who is walking around. He is putting poison in hot dogs. And then what he is doing is he is walking around and throwing these poisoned hot dogs into the yards of people that have dogs. He's poisoning dogs. Now, what sort of sicko does this and they have like he does it apparently in the middle of the night what happens is he he walks around and he throws these things he wraps up he puts 
poison in these hot dogs. He wraps it up with dental floss, and then he throws it into, like, people's yards. And what happens is, you know, people let their dogs out or whatever in their yards, and they, the dogs eat this stuff and they end up being poisoned. Um, it's apparently happening quite a bit. Uh, dogs eat them. They become sick. I don't know if any of the dogs have died yet, but they're they're looking for this guy. Um, they've got blurry images of him. But seriously, what sort of psycho does this? And like I say, I don't know what the law is going to do, but my perspective as a pet owner, when they catch this creepo, um, there is a special spot in you-know-where for somebody who does this. Can you imagine? <laughs> It's 1109, Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. All right, a couple quick program notes. Um, on Friday, tickets to Insight 2017 went on sale. And go to WTMJ.com, and you'll have a chance to purchase the tickets. Hoping to see a lot of people out there. It is Wednesday, April 19th at the Country Springs Hotel. Um, we're going to be announcing more guests as time rolls on. But our featured featured guest will be Governor Scott Walker, making a return to Insight after a one-year hiatus. He wasn't available last year because he was, oh, yeah, running for uh, president. We'll talk about that with the governor. Plus a number of other things. We're also going to be joined by Bob Babish and Don Smiley from Summerfest. Not one, not two, but three members of the Wisconsin State Supreme Court and other guests as well. So tickets are on sale now. Go to WTMJ.com. You'll see this little logo that you can click on. In addition, if you text the word tickets to 414-799-1620, we will send you that link as well, as you just heard during the break, when you're at WTMJ.com, check out the mobile application page. You can download all the various podcasts. You can sign up to be notified when podcasts occur. A lot of fun. And one week from today, it is Brewers opening day. Always a big day around here. It's nice to have baseball back. And I will be doing my entire show, 830 to noon, from the dugout. And if you haven't heard our opening day broadcast before, well, it, it's just a lot of fun. It's something a little bit different. We have an opportunity to sit down. I get to talk to some of the players from – I get to ask the questions. Not that the sports guys ask, but I get to ask the questions that you would ask if you were just a fan. And it's always a lot of fun. Plus, we'll be talking to a lot of members of the Brewers' front office – uh, Bob Uecker, Mark Atanasio always stop by as well. And you get to listen to all that excitement, the show coming from the dugout. Like I say, there's baseballs flying around, all sorts of stuff going on. So tune in. That is Monday morning, one week from today, our opening day broadcast at 830 in the morning. We'll have people out there during Wisconsin's morning news as well. But just a lot of fun, all leading up to you know our first pitch, which I think is around 110 or so. Brewers face the Colorado Rockies. It's good to have baseball back. All right. Regardless of how you feel about President Trump's decision to build a wall, right? And that during the campaign, he was talking about how he wants to build this wall along the, the Texas, Mexico, around, along the, the border. And you're, you're talking about, well, kind of roughly, you know, 2,000 miles or so. I mean, so you're talking about a lot of walls. Um, roughly half of the 2,000 mile U.S. Mexico border is in Texas. And apart from how you're going to pay for it, which is one of the things that people have been focused on, there's a a couple other issues as well. First of all, a lot of the border is along the the Rio Grande River, and there's a treaty that we have with Mexico that goes back to 1970 that says anything built near the river not obstruct its flow. 
Um, the same is true of a stretch of the border in Arizona. So you, you've got that. So you've got these issues with the, the, the treaties that are there. The bigger problem, perhaps, is a practical one, is that much of the land, particularly in Texas, that is where the wall would go, is owned by private citizens. I mean, so people people own own the land, and they've owned the land in some cases for for generations. In some cases, for example, there, there's golf courses that are on there, and so it's really not necessarily practicable to you know to to build the wall there. And if you do, it's it's going to cause a, a huge mess. But what they are finding is that there's a lot of landowners who do not want to sell their land to the government. Uh, they, we don't want the idea is we we don't want a wall in our backyard and this is this is our land. So as a result of that, the government is looking at you know going out and and taking it. This whole idea of eminent domain, which is where the government has a right to go out and grab a property and then pay people what they claim its reasonable value is. Well, you have a lot of these landowners who are saying there's no way and you know what that we're going to let you take our land from us and we're going to fight you. Right now, the government only has about like a dozen, maybe as many as 20 lawyers who are doing this. But if you're talking about a 2,000-mile border wall, much of the property which is owned by private citizens, right, what happens What happens if the private citizens don't want to sell? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I actually don't think there's any more contentious issue around now than, than this whole idea of eminent domain. The idea that you go out and you can take property away from people. Now, you do have to compensate them what the courts ultimately decide is reasonable value. But I don't know about you, but if I had a piece of property and I was on the Texas-Mexico border and it had been in my family for generations, I can understand why some of these landowners would say, I don't want a big wall in my backyard and would fight it. So the question becomes, you know, should the government expend the resources? And I'm looking at the number of these stories. Like I say, if all these different landowners decide that they want to fight this stuff in court, you are you are looking at years and years of litigation fighting for whether or not you can take the property. Because even though the law gives you the right to do this under eminent domain, people have certain rights as well. And you could theoretically tie this up in court for years. So given that a lot of these people don't want to sell, should the government just go ahead and try to take their property anyways? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1115 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1118, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Facebook is, la- Facebook is launching a crusade against fake news appearing on its platform. Is it working? Do you think the social media giant should even wade into this battle? Scafidi and Billstat discuss 1235 this afternoon. All right, President Trump has talked about his desire to build this, this wall along the 
mile Texas, Mexico, U.S. border. A lot of it is in Texas. And apart from the stuff that runs on the Rio Grande where there's treaties, um, a lot of this land is privately held by people who do not want to sell and are saying, okay, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to take our property from us and we're going to fight you. And it could be years in the court. I mean, is this... Is this worth it? And this, of course, raises the larger issues that I've had all along with with eminent domain. Let's start with Dave in Green Bay. Dave, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Thank you for taking my yes, call. Yes, sir. Uh, I think it's a matter of good neighbors type thing. I think the whole concept of a wall is ridiculous, and I think it's going to cost an awful lot of money. And the eminent domain thing, I know Trump loves that, that he can take land, but I think he's going to open a Pandora's box, and, I, and he's going to chew off something that's bigger than he even realizes. Well, you know, the interesting thing is, like I say, right now, my understanding is there's somewhere between 12 to 20 lawyers that work for the federal government doing this eminent domain stuff. If you really decide to go after hundreds, maybe thousands of landowners who don't want to sell, you're going to need to hire hundreds more attorneys to deal with this stuff, and it has the potential to be in the court for at least the next several years, making making me wonder whether, given the realities of this, does it make any sense to go ahead, especially if these people don't want to give up their property without a fight? No, it's totally ridiculous, and not just landowners, but uh, with the ecological factor of a wall, with yeah. uh, you've got the, the mountain lions, you've got critters that pass uh, uh, back and forth. They don't know anything about borders, and then right. you've got problems. You know, but I just think this whole wall thing, you should just drop it. I don't, you know, I just think it's going to, it's just going to eat up a lot of, a lot of lawyers are going to get rich, I suppose. Oh, no, that, I mean, that, I mean, thanks for, on, on, you know, a, a lot of lawyers are going to have to, see, that's the, th- there's the stuff that sounds good when you lay it out. And again, I, I've said this before. When I first heard the president talking about this wall, I thought he was using that term sort of as a metaphor. You know, we're we you know we're going to have tightened electronic security, and we're going to use new surveillance planes. We're we're going to build a you know we're going to build a wall. I didn't necessarily know that he was talking about. And I guess I should have right away. You know, a twenty-five or thirty feet foot tall tall wall along the entire stretch of the border. Now I understand you used to have the Berlin Wall, but the Berlin Wall wasn't two thousand miles with you know all this different terrain and territory, and it didn't go through all this private property. So now this is the reality they're looking at because these. These folks in Texas, um, very, very independent-minded, and, and they don't want to sell. They don't want to – they're not giving up without a fight. Now, ultimately, I mean, the government might be able to wear them down, but you're looking at a several-year battle. And so anybody who thinks that this wall is going to go up in the next two or three months, it, it's just not going to happen. At least I don't think it's going to happen, which makes me wonder, is this worth the political capital that you're going to, to need? Chuck on the south side. Chuck, you're on 620 WTMJ. You know, I listened to the last person. I agree with him 100%. The other thing is, by building this wall, what's it going to, you're not going to get nowhere with it because if a person wants to get across, they're going to build tunnels as, as they've done before. We're going to waste billions of dollars of your my money for a wall that probably is not going to help out anyway. So I agree with one thing. Why don't we just put more force out there instead of trouble? I mean, Right. I mean, well, see, that's what I've been thinking. I mean, that's what I've been arguing. I mean, thanks for call all, all along. I mean, I've been saying things like, 
increased surveillance flights. And, and, and we are putting more, you know, there's going to be more agents on the border. And I understand this is an issue. Don't get me wrong. Don't send me these emails. Oh, you're soft on immigration. What part of illegal don't you get to understand? I understand the thing that, you know, there, there's, it's a two-pronged question. First question is, you know, what, what do you do with people who are illegally in this country and have been for years? But before you get to that question, you have to seal off the border. And, and candidly, even without a wall, there have been many more people apprehended at the border. You have seen a dramatic change, and I think that's all for, for the good. And it makes me wonder whether campaign promises aside, it's worth continuing to go ahead and do this. But but more more importantly, if you look at the reality, and I, I admit, there's, they call it, the Supreme Court case is called the KEO, K-E-O-U-G-H, I think, decision, which really broadened the ability of government to take people's property. I understand there is a role in eminent domain. And, you know, sometimes there's no property available, and so you've got to, you've got to, you know, you've got to expand the roadway. Because you need to, the things have changed, and the roadway needs to be, you know, four lanes instead of two. And the only way you can accomplish that is by taking some of people's front yards or backyards or whatever to do that. I, I understand. I understand that sometimes you need to build that school for the good and the growth of the community. But one of the things that's been unfortunate is this explosion of eminent domain where we take people's property when they don't want to sell for, well, in some cases, just because we think that there's a better use for it or whatever. In this particular situation, I don't know. Again, all I'm saying is if you go down this eminent domain route and you're talking about hundreds, maybe thousands of landowners who don't want to sell, the reality is you're looking at court cases for years. And I guess if I'm the President of the United States and I recognize I've got a limited amount of time in office, you know, maybe it's four years, maybe it's eight years, whatever, do I really want to spend all this time involved in a thousand or two thousand different lawsuits involving, you know, my ability to take property and then what's a fair amount for the taxpayers to pay for this? Or do I want to figure out, hey, maybe a wall's not the way to go anyhow. Let the folks keep their property. I'm just going to tighten surveillance. It's 1127, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Packers are in Wisconsin's mind every day. Go inside the team and stay up to date on all things Packers with the Play-by-Play podcast hosted by Wayne Larravee. Listen now on the WTMJ mobile app. Yeah, that's one of the many great podcasts that we have up there. When you go to our mobile app, you can download podcasts of my show or Scafidi and Bill Stats all up there. You know, check it out. And I know lots of people are doing this. Hey, speaking of Wisconsin sports, um... As a Marquette fan, this, this is what people are asking me about that. They said, do, do, do you root for Wisconsin's basketball team? And as a as a diehard Marquette fan, um, my, my answer is, yeah, I, I just I, I want to see Wisconsin do well. It's the state school. And, and the only time that's not the case is when they're competing against Marquette. But otherwise, I want to see Wisconsin do well. And and I think this year's men's basketball team, what, what a game. Now, I have to confess, I was not – I was on the road Friday night – I, I was driving back from somewhere on Friday evening, and I was listening to the game on on, on satellite radio. So, I, I mean, I heard the ending of it, and then I ended up went, going back and watching some of the highlights. But number one, what a heartbreaker for for Wisconsin to have, you know, 
come back at the at the buzzer, made this shot, sent the game into overtime, and then you know that then winning in overtime and having some guy throw in this three point shot, you know, from Florida that that uh, you know costs them the ball game. I mean. What a what a tough game! But I tell you something, Badgers fans, you, you don't have anything to be sorry about. I mean, the, the team performed amazingly well, and that was just a great game. And I will tell you, you know, Florida went on to lose to South Carolina, who beat Marquette and, and Duke earlier on. I, I, in my opinion, that that overtime game against Wisconsin took a lot out of Florida. Just took an awful lot out of Florida, and kind of you know set the set the stage. So. Um, but I tell you, South Carolina just just played a just a tremendous. South Carolina played tremendous, and uh, Wisconsin certainly had nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be embarrassed about. It was just a a great game, and so for all you diehard Wisconsin Badger fans out there, I know it was a heartbreaker. I hope you got over it, used the weekend to get over it. But you know your team, your team performed admirably, admirably, and I think uh, they deserve just. Just an awful lot of credit for a game very well played. So now the college basketball season winds down. you got the Final Four on Saturday, the NCAA championship game on Monday. And interestingly enough, that ends up being you know, the, the same day, opening day. And once again, we'll have a live broadcast. Baseball is back. A lot of special things with baseball this summer, and I'm very, very much looking forward to that. We'll be announcing how they affect me and how they affect the show over the course of the next couple weeks. So all of that is exciting. Coming up in just a couple minutes, one of the trends has been allowing people to work at home. One major company is saying no more telecommuting. We're going to talk about that. It's interesting. It's 1134, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So much for the GOP's initial plans to repeal and replace Obamacare. What's next for the party in power when it comes to health care? Scafidi and Billstead have the latest at 135 this afternoon. Tune in. All right. One of um, one of our coworkers, Friday was her last day, and she just, she's going to be missed. It was one of our producers here, did an outstanding job, and, and she left. And, and one of the things, the, the job she took... Um, a company is based out of Illinois, but the way it was explained to me is they were going to allow her to telecommute from her home in Milwaukee three days a week. It's because I was saying, okay, do you really want to be driving to northern Illinois five days a week? And she said, no, no, I'm not, that's not it. They're going to let me work at home three out of the, the five days. And so, yeah, I, if, if I had to drive there every day, I'd probably think no, but I'd like some other aspects of the job. And I, I, can, I can do my job in my pajamas if I want. Nobody's, you know, you don't, don't have to dress up and do that. And, and there, is, there is an appeal to that. And that has been, you know, one of the things that has been really an ongoing trend. The estimates are that right now about 25%, one in four U.S. workers, do some or all of their work from home. And I assume that includes like people like me because my job is – I mean, I do a lot of my show prep at, at night. I, I don't do it here. I, I do the show prep at night. I do a lot of the stuff at, at home because it, it's just easier to do that. But I'm talking about for people who – Typically, the job was you had to be out at the desk. Now, the estimates are about one in four get to telecommute, maybe not all the time, but some of of the time. And this is viewed as, as a real perk because, again, you know, you, if you want to sit and do it and do the work in your pajamas, you can end up doing that. IBM, 
you know, international business machines. IBM was one of the leaders when it came to telecommuting. They are now, they've taken a look at this after it's worked for a few years, it's been in operation for a few years, and they've decided telecommuting isn't working out as as we planned. Um, the story is, in the past few years, IBM has, they, they use the term, it's a euphemism, co-locate, um, which means bringing back telecommuting workers to the office. And so you have all these former work-from-home employees in various areas who are now being brought back. Technology areas, now they're bringing back another 2,600 who work for the marketing arm to do the same. So they're now saying, hey, look, you know, we, we know that you've been telecommuting. We want you to come in. Now, a lot of a lot of the employees aren't necessarily happy about this. They're used to being able to work at home. But what IBM is saying is that they call it the water cooler effect. They believe that people working together stokes innovation. So, in other words, that you know, being around your coworkers, bouncing ideas off your coworkers, interacting with your your coworkers, that that makes you number one more productive, and number two, it makes you more innovative. And what they're saying is, hey, rather than just somebody being isolated, and by isolated, I mean, I understand that you're hooked up on the net or on the Internet and things like that, but that there is a value to actually being in the office, to physically interacting and talking about things with your coworkers. And, and sometimes maybe it's work-related, maybe it's not. But they're saying, hey, we think that there's a value to actually being in the office, and we're losing that by allowing all this telecommuting to occur. I am fascinated by by business trends and social trends and society trends. And my guess is maybe you're one of those people who who telecommute or maybe you did telecommute or maybe there's people in your office that telecommute. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The trend has definitely been over the last several years to allow more people to work, quote unquote, outside the office. IBM is now starting to say, you know, we just don't think that that is the best way to go about it. So let's discuss. I mean, if you're somebody that's telecommuted, um, what do you think? I mean, or if you're somebody that's in business, do you think that there is a value to having people actually be in the office and interact with their coworkers, or is just telecommuting just, I guess, a, a wonderful benefit that makes jobs more attractive? Um should companies be starting to pull this back? Do you think that this experiment that's been going on for years and years has been a success? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. Let's start with Sherry in Sheboygan. Sherry, good morning. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. You are a telecommuter? I, I work remotely from my home. I'm a nurse, and I work for a large healthcare organization, um, and... I'm just. I'm curious. How do you work as a nurse remote? How do you work as a nurse telecom? Well, how do you telecommute? Care managing. Okay. You talk, to, you talk to people who have maybe just been discharged from the hospital. Got it. Okay, I understand. Right, as opposed so, to so you're not physically seeing patients. You're you're interacting with somebody who's got a question about it. Okay. Actually, it depends on where the people are, but locally we can visit people who have been discharged from a local hospital if they have that, the carrier or the insurance company. Mm-hmm. Um, I have access. I have Skype. I have uh, my phone. I'm used to working as a team, as a nurse, but I can pick up my phone. I can Skype my supervisor. I can Skype my other team members. 
And I can talk and bounce things off them just as well as when I was at the hospital. So if, if maybe they saw something go into a spiral mm-hmm. as far as work relations, maybe their EAP went up and people were more depressed because they didn't have anybody to bounce things off of. But there's thousands, millions of people that work remotely. Oh, yeah. And, and it, it works, and it works for my family, it works for me, and IBM, they've been around a long time. Um, it's different kind of work. Right. But my work, I work with other people on the other end. So I do see patients, I do see other people who need sometimes, you know, me to visit them, whereas IBM, it may just all be computer work eight hours a day. Sherry, if, a big difference. if you weren't able to telecommute, would you be looking for a different job? Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, no, no problem. I, and as a nurse, I would have no problem finding a job. Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I understand this. I understand this intellectually. At the same time, I underst- I also get what IBM is talking about. I, um, I have, even though I'm not here eight hours a day, I mean, I come in an hour before, get ready for the show, stay a little bit afterwards, you know, do stuff. But, but during the time I'm here, I, I interact with my coworkers. And I'm not just talking about, you know, regularly scheduled meetings. I'm talking about you run into the producers, you run into the salespeople, you run into some of my, you know, some of the other hosts that are on the show. And you, you interact with them and you get ideas and you talk about these type of things. And I, I think, I guess even for what I do, I think that there is a value to that. And if, if I was missing that on a regular basis, I think, you know, I, I do think I would be missing something. I mean, I, I know that there's some places, for example, where, you know, the, the for even in the radio, where, you know, people are allowed to, like, do the shows from home, and they're, they're just never in the office. And so, yeah, you can do the show at home, but if you're doing this in isolation or, you know, your, your communications are, you know, email with your boss or, or whatever. There's ways to communicate. But I do understand that interaction that's there. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The flip side is I get exactly what Sherry's talking about. If the choice is, you know, getting up every morning and having to, you know, get dressed, drive in, drive 30, 45 minutes to where you work, um, I, I understand why, as long as you've got the discipline, why telecommuting is, is easier Let's and, and more preferable. Easier is not the right word. John in Madison. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. Um, uh, first time caller. I love your show. Thank you. Uh, the IBM is actually very spot on on this. I happen to work in the tech field. I'm a software engineer with a small company. We have about 20 developers. We've got like three of them that work remotely, and um, there's an enormous amount of information exchange that just happens by happenstance, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it can be extremely valuable. And um, like I can see, I like in IBM's case, people like salesmen, tell, for them to telecommute is fine because they they largely work independently on their own. You know, uh, you know they're dealing right. with customers more than with employees, our coworkers. Right. But but like for something that we do, it's very collaborative and it's 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 a lot of times it's it's hard to illustrate what you're trying to get across from a like as an example, a software design position, um, over the phone. Even if you're doing using some technologies that allow you to, you know, share screens and stuff like that. Right. Uh, so there's there's a the the ability to collaborate just casually has a huge advantage um, 
And there, there is a lot of innovation that happens where, especially when you have, like, small groups of teams that don't necessarily always work together, but all of a sudden you happen to be in the cafeteria and one group is talking through a problem and you can say, hey, you know what, we had an issue like this on this project. Yeah. Here's how we solve it. Yeah, so, somebody says, hey, somebody, you, you know, somebody says, hey, John, you know, I haven't seen you for a while. What are you working on? And you kind of tell them that. And he said, you know, somebody says, hey, I was kicking around something like that, you know. And I mean, it is, it is that collaboration thing. And maybe it doesn't apply to all sorts of things. But I, I, I just... I, I can see where, for some industries in particular, that isolation isn't necessarily good. Even if even if everybody's doing their job and working hard, you you there, there is a value to human interaction and interacting with your coworkers. Yeah, it's, it's immensely valuable. I mean, we we get by with um, a guy's telecommute. We have one guy in San Diego, another guy in Cincinnati. Sure. Um, but but we tend to put those guys on smaller projects where they can kind of work independently. Um, as opposed to being, you know, reliant on others quite as much. Right. So, right. But like, if it's for slightly bigger development projects, and I'm, I'm sure you probably hear the same thing, like with a building architects, and you know, who have to interact with people in, who do HVAC design and stuff like that. It's probably the same type of thing. Yeah. No. Interesting. And that I think that makes a lot of sense. Maybe you know, there, there are probably certain types of jobs. And interestingly, before our first caller, Sherry, I wouldn't necessarily thought of nursing, but I understand. I was talking about that. But like, if you're okay, you're 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 okay. You work for a call center, all right, and so you're, you're you're scheduling appointments, or you're you know answering questions about how I can't get the TV hooked up, or, or whatever. Okay, that might be one of the things where you don't, you you really don't need to necessarily be interacting with your coworkers, but in an area where you're talking about like innovation and, and this idea and how does stuff operate. I mean, I'm just I'm trying to personalize this, and I know, I know that I would, I, I, while there is a certain appeal. Of not having to have the alarm go off at five thirty in the morning, you know, and, and and get up and you know jump in the shower and get dressed and drive into work and just be able to you know show up in your you know your pajamas and like do the show. I know that I get a lot out of being able to interact with with my coworkers. And again, that's maybe that's just my job. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's eleven forty six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Eleven fifty. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Interesting. There was a story in the local paper over the weekend about how more and more employers were allowing people to telecommute. You know, just work from from home. And at the same time, story in the Washington Post about how IBM, which was one of the innovators in this, they're moving the other direction. They're bringing a lot of their telecommuting employees. They're bringing them back, and they're saying, "Okay, we want you in the office." And they're saying it's because of what they call the water cooler effect. They think that. A lot of innovation comes from being around your coworkers and just bouncing off ideas. Let's talk to Lynn in Milwaukee. Lynn, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am well, thank you. You are a telecommuter as well. Um, actually, I'm in sales, and I work both in the office and outside the office. Okay. And I'm listening to your program because I'm on the way to the airport right now. <laughs> Got it. So I made a, a comment to your screener. Um, I think it also has much to do with productivity. Now, one of the reasons I go into the office is because of the information I pick up through happenstance and things of that sort. But right. I'll tell you, I get most of my work done before hours and after hours while I'm at the office. I think what's happening out there in the marketplace is that when people work from home, um, they don't start working until the bell rings, and then they stop working when the bell stops. They don't tend to work the overtime. The other point I wanted to make to your screener was that the gal who called in first to say that she was a nurse from who worked from, who worked right. from home, 
she's listening to your program, and while she may listen to your program while in an office, I doubt she would have taken the time to call into your program while in the office. Now, now I don't want to discourage that, Lynn, but I understand your point. <laughs> That's the last thing I want. I, I understand. So to you, it, it's kind of all about productivity, and you think maybe working in the office actually maybe leads to more productivity? I believe it does. I think the employer actually gets more out of me when I'm engaged at the office than when I'm at, at when I'm working from home. I get a lot done when I'm working from home. Don't don't disregard that. But I think overall, it is productivity related. Yeah, interesting. And th- thanks for calling. Have have a safe trip. I guess. See, I think you can argue it both ways. For example, I know, I know, I have I have several friends of mine who are practicing attorneys, and more and more of them work at home more and more because if you're, for example, okay, like a lot of times, depending on the nature of your practice, you know, you're, you're, maybe you're writing briefs or, you know, you're dealing with clients, but it's not face-to-face. It's a lot of stuff that's on the telephone, so they don't know if you're in your office or not. I, what, what I know a number of people that I'm close to have said is they believe they are more productive at home because there, there's not the distractions. There's not the people constantly coming in and out of your office and, you know, just sitting around and just wanting to, to talk to you or whatever. You can just focus. So you need, you do need that, that discipline. Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. As someone who works 100% remotely, uh, with the exception of the occasional meeting, I think it's a huge mistake to um, just flat out not allow telecommuting. Um, yes, the, the the distractions are much less. You're able to concentrate a lot more. Right. And there are times when when in a, this global economy, when you are going to have people might have meetings with someone like in India, for example, and and when you're going to have to do that from home, and you're not going to be able to to go in the office at ten o'clock at night and then have the meeting in there. Right. 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 What do you think about the productivity issue? Do you think you're more productive at home or if you were in an office setting? Well, I can be flexible, but but currently my numbers are really awesome when I'm working at home. Really? Um, the, yeah, there are times when when I have edited like 30 documents a day, or mm-hmm. if they're like really really quick ones, then I then then there's even times when I might have like 100 done per day. Just because there's not as many distractions. Well, there's uh, not as many distractions. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty no. Much. No. And, and again, I think that's that's fair. Like I say, you don't have the you, you don't have the people. I mean. You don't have that that interact. You don't as as long as you can be focused. You know, you're you're sitting there. You're you're paying attention to what you're doing, and you don't have the people you know walking in or say, hey, you want to get a cup of coffee or whatever. You need to be you need to be focused. I think telecommuting commuting is great. I just and for some jobs, it probably there, there's no problem at all with it. But it is interesting to to me at least to try to wonder. Are you losing innovation? Like I say, I know if I just did, even my job, if I just did it from home and never had to come into the radio station, I don't think the program would be as good Um, because I love interacting with my coworkers. It's 1157, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Scafidi and Billstat, except... No scafidi. We have Eric Bilstadt and mm-hmm. Tracy Johnson That's from the right. Commercial Association of Realtors. Steve is in Las Vegas, so Tracy, kind enough to fill Hopefully in. he will leave some money there as somebody who's going to Las Vegas later on this week. Yeah, so. you guys are two ships this week. We will be two ships. Pat, but again, I, I hope he'll leave just a little bit of money there for, <laughs> for me. Well, if he leaves some, then I know he'll come back. Otherwise, hey, I like the new show, but you know, I, I just hit that Wheel of Fortune mm-hmm. thing and, you know. 
Uh, yes. Lots to discuss, even though Steve will not be here, including what's going to happen with the Waukesha water situation. Did you hear John Dickert is resigning as the right. mayor of Racine? He'd been fighting against that Waukesha water deal, so we're going to dissect right. that to find out if that's actually a thing to be concerned about if you are Waukesha. Also, United Airlines defending itself. Hey, we're allowed to tell certain people not to wear leggings. I'm with United on that one. Yeah? Okay. I'm with United. All right. I'm with United. Absolutely. We'll see how that one goes. The uh, <laughs> oh no, no whole jeans either. You can't wear jeans with holes. If you're if you're flying on on the pass, on their if you're pass, right, if you're yes. if you're on the employee pass. Uh, if I'm flying United this week, I can show up in flip flops mm-hmm. and you know jeans with holes in them. Even though my mother would never allow me to go out of the house with that, but but just if you're in pass. Yeah. So we have that plus much much more. So good three hours coming up next. Scafidi and Bill Stat today. It's it's Bill Stat and Johnson. So. I Stay like the tuned. Ring of that. It does sound good. <laughs> there, there, there you go. Regardless, I am out of time. I'm back 8.30 tomorrow morning when we do this all again. Have a great Monday. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.